And thank you, Derek and Sarah, for your help with the music tonight. Thank you for uh, the good singing. Enjoy so much the congregational singing uh, today. And uh, so blessed to be able to sing so many great hymns of the faith and good Christian songs. We will be taking a, a, a step away from our series on prophecy to uh, look at a series, to spend some time in a series on the Word of God. Our theme for this year has been confidence in the Scriptures. And I've uh, been taking time in Sunday school, as Derek mentioned. Appreciate uh, what you said there, Derek. And uh, uh, there was no charge for that commercial break. And uh, uh, we, we are thankful for uh, the uh, Sunday school hour in which we can uh, do some additional instruction, teaching, and some interaction. And uh, so we will, on Sunday nights, be looking at several passages of Scripture uh, along this theme of our, of our confidence being in the Word of God. So we're going to look at passages that speak ex- explicitly or specifically to the Word of God. And what greater psalm in all of Scripture, in all the psalms, but Psalm 119, uh, where nearly every verse makes reference to the Word of God. So we will uh, spend some time uh, in this psalm over the next uh, several weeks, Lord willing. Uh, so I encourage you, invite you to turn to Psalm 119 as we read uh, the first paragraph. We will look at uh, these first eight verses tonight. Psalm 119 is sometimes referred to as the Mount Everest of the Bible. And of course, we know Mount Everest as uh, the highest peak in the world. There are people who have died uh, trying to reach uh, its peak, and uh, there are uh, people with far more of an adventurous spirit than I will ever have to try to take on that kind of a challenge. But some, they are just driven by the challenge of climbing some of these great mountains around the world. And I watched a documentary one time of a man who solo climbed El Capitan out in uh, Yosemite. Fascinating documentary. And uh, it was just interesting as he got to the top of El Capitan, as he came over the ledge, as he had solo climbed uh, with no safety harnesses, just free climbed El Capitan. And he came over and he talked about the exhilarating experience it was. Of course, he's an unsaved man. And he talked about how it was... Uh, such a satisfying experience, but then he wanted to, to climb again. And uh, he, he got to the top, and he, he enjoyed the view, and there was a satisfaction at that accomplishment. And then he, he made the, the comment about it, it still didn't satisfy him enough. He wanted to, he wanted to try something else. But anyway, it was, it was a fascinating documentary. Well, we're going to, in a, in a, in a way, uh, climb Mount Everest, Mount Everest of the Bible, as we go through... Uh, several messages uh, from this great psalm. So again, we can refer to it as the Mount Everest of the Bible, but this first paragraph is based on the Hebrew letter, the letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. So in your Bibles, you may notice the paragraph divisions, and each one is going to be a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 letters. Each paragraph of the 
psalm is going to be an acrostic for uh, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So we've already read through this psalm, first eight verses in our scripture reading, and so we will come back to uh, each verse as we go along. So again, it is an acrostic, as I just mentioned, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet represented throughout the psalm. So my understanding is, in the original language, in the Hebrew, there is each, each verse, so for instance, in verses 1 through 8, each verse will begin with the Hebrew letter Aleph. So the first, line, the first letter of each line of each stanza begins with the same Hebrew letter. So verses 1 through 8, each verse, each stanza will begin with the Hebrew letter Aleph, and then verses 9 through 16, Beth, and then 17 through 24, Gimel, and so on and so forth. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but we are used to acrostics. We understand an acrostic, and uh, each letter uh, spelling out maybe a particular uh, word or phrase, and then there's a a phrase or a sentence that goes with uh, that letter. So it is a Hebrew acrostic poem of 22 stanzas following each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It is the longest psalm, 176 verses, and the longest chapter in the Bible. Now, I don't know about you, I'll have to admit, some of my uh, flesh, sometimes when I'm doing my, through the Bible reading or my devotions, and you get to a Bible reading that has Psalm 119 for your, your chapter for the day. And if you've ever been like me, you think, how am I going to get through 176 verses in the time I have set aside for my devotions? Some Bible readings will break it up and we'll, we'll group it. But it's 176 verses. And I just find it so fascinating that the longest chapter in the Bible is reserved to speak about the Word of God. Does that not once again show us the importance and the emphasis upon the authority and the infallibility of the inspired Word of God? That the longest chapter in the Bible is dedicated to the Word of God. And again, we have seen over and over and over in our culture, as Derek mentioned, in regards to artificial intelligence, the continual attack upon the word of God. Hath God said, as Satan tempted Eve in the garden, and ultimately even the LGBTIA+, yada, 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 however many letters they they add, even that is ultimately an attack upon the authority of God's word. It is ultimately about whether God created the world in specific design for human beings and sexuality, or is it man and his ideas about morality and ethics and sexuality. It ultimately comes down to, hath God said, or thus saith the Lord. And Satan is constantly bringing questions, trying to doubt, and asking those questions, repackaging the same lies, the same errors, but repackaging them and redistributing them, as he has throughout history, questioning the word of God. So are we going to land on, thus saith the Lord, 
or are we going to be in the half God said? And that's where we are once again through this year, as we look at several passages on the Word of God, as we have been in Sunday school, emphasizing once again the authority, the, authority, the infallibility, the inspired Word of God. And I, again, bring our attention to the fact that the longest psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible, is all about the Word of God. There are eight, there are some um, who debates whether it's eight or ten different terms for Scripture, depending on how you want to uh, identify certain words, but ultimately there are eight um, specific words that are used to identify Scripture. Some will count a couple, couple more, but it is fascinating, these terms. We're going to talk about them. I'll list them for you. We'll begin with the, the word law, also the word testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, Judgments, word, ordinances, and then the two that sometimes uh, are added are truth and righteousness. There is only one verse throughout the entire psalm without one of these words, and that is verse 122. So Matthew Henry, the great uh, devotional commentary, uh, Matthew Henry, he says this, about these words used for the word of God in Psalm 119. God's law, because they are enacted by him as our sovereign. His way, because they are the rule both of his providence and of our obedience. His testimonies, because they are solemnly declared to the world and attested beyond contradiction. His commandments, because given with authority, and as the word signifies, lodged with us as a trust. His precepts, because prescribed to us and not left indifferent. His word or saying, because it is the declaration of God's mind in Christ, the essential eternal word is all in all in it. His judgments, because framed in infinite wisdom, and because by them we must both judge and be judged. His righteousness, because it is all holy, just, and good, and the rule and standard of righteousness. His statutes, because they are fixed and determined and of perpetual obligation. His truth or faithfulness, from verse number 90, because the principles upon which the divine law is built are eternal truths. Wonderful commentary from Matthew Henry regarding those words used in Psalm 119 to refer to the Word of God. So let's begin in verses 1 through 3 by looking at our happiness comes from obeying the Word of God. Verse number 1 of Psalm 119, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed. Blessed means happy. It means content, satisfied, not running after or seeking after that which is unnecessary, unneeded, or unsatisfying. It is very similar to Psalm 1, where if we were to go back to Psalm 1, we know that this psalm, and I'll, Lord willing, eventually preach a message from Psalm 1, where we see, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the sea of the scornful, but his delight 
is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The world is seeking the elusive butterfly of happiness in all of the wrong places. I just mentioned the rock climber who he felt like it would be his greatest accomplishment if he could free solo rock climb El Capitan. That is an amazing accomplishment. He stands up on top, he looks across, and he was exhilarated with having accomplished his his greatest accomplishment. And then he makes the statement, if I could just climb another mountain, there's something else I need to do. It's just like, what's his name, Rockefeller, the great oil tycoon who had, at the time, probably the most money in the world. I don't know what his net worth would be compared to today. And he would make the statement, if I could just have one dollar more. We're always wanting something else. And our world today is marketing dissatisfaction. Commercials and advertisements. And you just have to go up and down the, the, the aisles of the grocery store and how many different kinds of toothpaste and energy drinks and cereals, and that's one of my, my weaknesses, but I, I go to, to my top five cereals. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, there, there's, there's all of these markets and advertisements that create in us a dissatisfaction and a desire to try to fill the God-shaped hole in our souls and our hearts with the things of this world, and it never satisfies. An interesting study recently, and I, I don't know all of the, uh, the way the questions were asked, I don't know all the statistics, but patriotism has declined in America. All the different values that have made America great through the years, the Christian and conservative values, they have all been in decline. I was on the website and I was looking at uh, the, the different statistics. But the one area that Americans identified as the most important still that is increasing is their desire for money. That is still number one and growing. While patriotism, family values, all the other conservative and Christian values are in decline, the desire for money is continuing upward. And we know what the Bible says regarding the love of money. It is the root of all evil or the root of all sorts of evil. And we see how Money corrupts in so many different ways and how much wickedness is consumed and participated in and the depravity of man seems to oftentimes center around money and the uh, desire for uh, riches and often immorality and fame and the desire for popularity and to be famous. And we see the, the social media influencers and people who live for 15 minutes, 15 seconds, 15 days of fame because they got their video to go viral. And then it's on to something more. And we are a dissatisfied people. So we doom scroll on our phones, on our screens. We are now down to less of the attention span of a gnat. Not gnat rumba, but of a gnat. <laughs> A little bug that flies around that I used to get all over my face as I would ride my bike on my paper route and I'd ride through a swarm of gnats and they'd be up my nose and in my eyes. And those little gnats, we have an attention span now that seems to be less than those. And the statistics are coming out about the effects of the brain, of of screens on the human brain. 
and on and on it goes. Uh, Kelly and I were involved in special education at our previous ministry there at our Christian school, and we saw the effects of broken homes on students with special needs. And then we saw parents who would give their child a screen and feed them with junk food and never really help them with their special needs. We could go on and on with all the ways that here in America, we are consumers and we are trying to find our happiness, our satisfaction in all of the world's empty pleasures. And we know that the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So as we look at Psalm 119, we recognize that our happiness comes from obeying the word of God. There is no greater joy than that God's children walk in truth. That's where true joy, yes, there's the joy of the Lord in seeing his children walk in truth. There's the joy of us as parents in seeing our children walk in truth. But it's also because there is true satisfaction, there is true joy in obeying the word of God. Who walk in the law of the Lord rhymes with, in the Hebrew poetry, the rhyme of idea, the rhyme of thought, the rhyme of principle. We're used to an American poetry rhyming the sound of the end of a word or the beginning of a word or whatever the case may be. In Hebrew poetry, it's often rhyming an idea, a thought, or a principle. And so we see the rhyming of those who walk in the law of the Lord with those whose way is blameless, who are undefiled in the way. That's who is blessed. That is who is truly happy. That is who truly understands and experiences the joy of the Lord. That is why as my dad was dying and my mom was trying to work part-time, the people would come to her at her workplace and they would say, how can you be handling this so well? How is it that you can still have some sort of decency of your life when your husband is dying of cancer? How can you be managing all this, going back and forth? How, how do you have that? And my mom would have a testimony of saying, it's the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord. It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. As my mom would keep her mind focused upon the word of God and claim his promises and, and live by his power, there would be people who would come to her at her workplace who would say, if I were in your shoes, I would be driven to drink by now. And she would hear people talk about all the things that they would be doing to try to cope with their loved one dying of cancer. But my mom would say, my foundation is in the Lord. My satisfaction is in the Lord. My joy is in Christ. And that's where we have to ultimately find our joy and our happiness. It's in the Lord. So we see those who walk in the law of the Lord, those whose way is blameless, undefiled in the way. What does that word walk refer to? It refers to a habitual pattern of living. So we see there again, who walk in the law of the Lord. So the habitual pattern of our life should be in the law of the Lord. I know law is a dangerous term today. I know that people don't like the word law. But we are increasingly becoming a society that is not ruled by law and order. It seems like the lawless and the unruly are increasingly dominating our culture. But the law of the Lord, that is not a scary term for us as believers. 
the law of the Lord is a very satisfying term. It brings the boundaries to our life that are for our good and for God's glory, that are part of God's order and design that is best for us. And I know that there can be an extreme legalistic view of law. I get that. I grew up in a, a church that had some strict rules. I went to a Christian college that had some strict rules. But I'm thankful for many of the rules and the boundaries that were set in my life. But I'm thankful that a lot of those boundaries, a lot of those rules were with a relationship. Because rules without relationship breed rebellion. And I'm thankful for relationships that help me understand the rules. And then I was, by the grace of God, able to understand better the rules and the boundaries and submit to them for, for my own good. I understand, as Evangelist Rock, uh, Brother Mike, as he talked about legalism, I really appreciated the way he explained it. But we have to understand that in any relationship, there are laws, there are rules, there are boundaries. We understand, okay, my, my wife does not give me, I joked around with someone the other day about my wife writing lesson plans for our kids for school, and she writes a lesson plan for me every day as well. No, she doesn't, okay? But there are rules in our relationship. There are laws in our relationship. Kelly doesn't hand me a rule book every morning and say, obey these rules, but we understand mutually in a covenant relationship before God, we have rules, we have laws that govern our relationship, boundaries. That's good for us. That's important for us. There have been studies about kids who don't have a fence around their playground and how they struggle with boundaries. And when they put the fence up, the kids play more orderly, play more relationally, take the fence away, and the kids struggle with relationships, with boundaries, and understanding where they belong. And it's just an interesting study sometimes to, to learn about how boundaries and rules are necessary. Yes, there can be rules that are outside of the will of God that are not based on commands and principles and uh, orderliness, but God is a God of order. God is a God of design and, of course, morality and right and wrong. So rules and laws need to be based upon the Word of God and principles of the Word of God. But one of the commands and the designs of our government is to uphold righteousness to uphold and protect the law of God. And the laws of a nation should reflect the laws of God so that there is a rewarding of the good and there is a judging of the evil, of the bad. That basic design of God for morality and for ethics, for right and wrong, are we not losing that in our culture very, very quickly? When the government cannot do its basic duties of upholding that which is good and that which is righteous and that which is moral and protect the good and uphold the good. Instead, they're protecting the evil and celebrating and promoting the evil and the sin and the vice. There is something greatly wrong. It has turned the role of government upside down and now we're calling good evil and evil good. It's, it's disgusting. 
But we find our joy, our satisfaction in the keeping of God's law, in the obedience to the word of God. Who seek him with their whole heart rhymes with those who keep his testimonies. Seeking Christ, seeking God with our whole heart fleshes itself out in obedience. It fleshes itself out in obeying the law of God, keeping his commandments. Testimonies. Again, testimonies is referring to the word of God. As Matthew Henry stated it earlier, as I read, they are solemnly declared to the world and attested beyond contradiction. The testimony of the word of God, that is what should govern our life. That is what we should seek. And what is the heart? The heart is the whole inner man. The mind, the will, and the emotions. The entire essence of our inner being should be focused upon, centered around the Word of God. As we were just reminded in our revival meetings this past week of having the Bible a regular part of our lives, that everything about our life is governed by the Word of God. We don't just come to church on Sunday and inside these four walls for two or three hours on a Sunday, we have our time around the Word of God and then we ignore it the other six days of the week and do whatever we want. No. This is some of the thinking now that's permeating our culture when it comes to the First Amendment, religious freedom, religious liberty. Oh, you can worship within the four walls of your church, but don't take your belief system outside and live it out. No, our founding fathers understood that religious liberty meant living out your faith everywhere you go. And there was a time in our nation where that was respected. Now they're trying to trim the First Amendment down to uh, freedom of worship. But it says freedom of religion, which means practicing our faith, even in the public square. So places, law, lawyers, uh, law offices such as Alliance Defending Freedom, and uh, I'm forgetting some of the, the other ones, they, they are finding themselves inundated with cases regarding religious freedom because of this idea that comes down from our government, from the highest offices of the land, that our religious freedom only involves the worship that we do on Sundays. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll let that affect our thinking, and we will come and we will worship and we'll practice our religion here, and then we will not live for God the other six days of the week. And that's dangerous. And it, it, it burdens me, it burdens me when there are people, families, with young children who they barely come to church at all, maybe one hour a week. And if the youth group is nothing but an entertainment center, what Bible are our young people getting? I am burdened when I see the way some churches organize. They maybe have a, a, a one service for an hour. And then if they have a youth meeting, the youth meeting is often arcades and video games and entertainment and very little Bible teaching. 
And then I'm hearing that our churches need to be catechized. Our young people need to be catechized. There needs to be more time for instruction. Well, then that means we need to be in church. We need to be in Sunday school. We need to be in the morning service as, as, as God allows in the evening service on Wednesday nights as much as we possibly can. So much the more as we see the day approaching, we read in Hebrews 10, 28. So that we might order our lives by the word of God. Now, there's the personal practice and the spiritual disciplines that we have to practice as well. And it's from the hearts, keeping his testimonies, that, again, that order the whole inner man, that orients our whole life around the word of God, so that we put on biblical glasses every day, Bible lenses every day, to look at the world, to see the world the way God sees it, to order our life according to the word of God so that we might live it out faithfully. Who do, know, who do know iniquity, verse number three. Part of this joy, this satisfaction, this blessedness, it comes in walking in the law of the Lord, habitually patterning our life by the word of God, blameless, undefiled in the way, living as holy as we possibly can. Be holy, for I am holy. Seeking him with a whole heart, our whole inner being, orienting our life around the word of God, who do no iniquity rhymes with walk in his ways. Once again, that habitual pattern of life that is focused on the ways of the Lord. Now, as we go through life, isn't it this way in life? The path is not always smooth and straight, and very clear. I'm not saying that the word of God is cloudy. I'm not saying that God's will is somehow mysterious. In, in some ways it is. But when we look at the word of God, he makes it very clear on what his will is. Now, I understand that there are specifics, details of the will of God that are mysterious as we obey in the clear principles regarding the will of God. But what I'm saying is, does not the way of the Lord, as we go through our life, as we are focused on the will of God, does not the path sometimes go like this? Does it not sometimes curve and go up and down? Does it not sometimes get into some foggy, rocky, uh, cloudy ways in our, in our, in our view I think of Pilgrim's Progress. I think of a Christian who's on that journey of faith. And he's sometimes out there on that journey. And the way before him is curved. It's mountainous. It has some rocks. It has some obstacles. And there are times in our life where there are suffering. There, there is suffering. There are circumstances that are difficult. There are trials. There are tribulations. There are tests of our faith. And my mom used to say that God brings people into our lives sometimes to be faith builders. And sometimes those people along the way are faith builders, if you know what I mean. They're a little prickly. They're a little difficult to deal with. And I've had faith builders all throughout my life. And I'm thankful for them. God's taught me through many of those and those people who we have to deal with that we sometimes might identify as our enemies. And we have to be reminded of Matthew 5 and verse 44, to love our enemies. 
and do good to them that hate us and pray for them and bless them that persecute us. There are all kinds of ways in walking this, this if I can call it the journey of faith, the, the walk of life, the race of life, there are all kinds of obstacles There are all kinds of voices, there are all kinds of temptations that would cause us to take our eyes off of Christ, take our eyes off of the Word of God, and then we veer into iniquity instead of walking in His ways. At the uh, open house yesterday, uh, one of uh, of, uh, the, the teachers, I used to be his boss, I hate to use the word boss. I don't like that term. But he ran the mini marathon yesterday. 13.1 miles. I would never be able to make it that far. I commend him for being able to run 13.1 miles in the mini marathon down in Indianapolis yesterday. And he was talking about his accomplishment. But he had to keep his eye on the finish line. They were talking about some of the people who came across the finish line. Some of them were puking their guts out. Some of them were falling on their faces. Some of them were stumbling across. Some of them were limping across. But every single one of them that finished the race had their eye on the goal, the prize. Now, from what I understand, the, the, the Kenyan that won the mini marathon uh, did it in, in just an incredible time. I can't remember, uh, like four hours or something. I can't remember what the time was. But just incredible. But hundreds of people crossing that finish line, they had their eye on the prize, trying to keep a personal goal. Whatever it was, they had to keep their focus. And there are times in life when we feel defeated and circumstances are hard and there's trials and there are temptations. And we have to continue to keep our focus on the Lord, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, I enjoy the game of baseball and we... uh, Chandler had a tournament this past week, and I heard the coaches over and over and over saying things like, next pitch, next pitch. Why? Why? Because the player had just let a ground ball go between his legs. He had just missed a fly ball. He had just swung at a bad pitch. And what do you have to do? As believers, we have to confess and forsake. And we have to continue forward. So if a player, and I watched it happen, a player at third base dropped a fly ball right in his glove. And then sure enough, two batters later, another fly ball was hit to the same player right there at third base and he caught it. You can't lose your focus. You can't, give, you can't lose your attention on what is the most important. Walking in his ways. Do no iniquity. Patterning our life by the word of God will keep us from sin. But when we do sin, we have the promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we continue to habitually walk in his ways. That is the key to joy, the key to happiness. We'll just quickly go through these last four or five verses here. But we also see not just that our happiness comes from obeying the word of God, but our commitment must be to the word of God. Very clearly here in verse 4, we see that this is God's command. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts. How? Diligently. Diligently. We have to be zealous for the cause of Christ. Zealous for obedience. Zealous for keeping God's command. 
It has to be a diligent part of our life. Regularly focused, regularly keeping our, 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 our lives and our spirits, our heart in check with the word of God. Because we are prone to wander, as the, as the great hymn says. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We are forgetful people. We have to constantly be reminded of the word of God. How many times do we say the same thing to our children over and over and over again? Sometimes we say the same thing five times and they still ask the same question. How many of us have had students in a class? You've gone over it and you've gone over it and you've gone over it in your lesson. And then there's that kid. Mr. What did you say the answer was to question number four? And the teacher, with all the patience they can muster, right, has to kindly say, well, <laughs> and it's already been repeated. How many times? And we are forgetful people. We have to be reminded of this command. And we have to do it over and over with our own children at home. And hopefully by the time they're 18, they get it, right? And it sticks. And then they live it out. But we are God's children as believers, sons of God. And we have to be reminded of this command. And we have to keep his precepts diligently. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes focus. It takes energy. It takes discipline. And it should be our desire. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. What did I can't do what Brother Mike did. But we learned, oh, how love I thy law, right? Oh, he would, he would start off with. And there we see the passion of the psalmist. Oh, that we would have this kind of passion for the word of God. Oh, we're passionate about lots of things. I have my passions and they have to be kept in check because I know where my passions would go, where my loves are. And I have to keep them always submitted to the word of God. And I'm reminded of that regularly. That's why we need the word of God. That's why we need our church. That's why we need our Christian brothers and sisters because they help us so much keep our hearts and keep our spirits in check. That's why it's so, it's such a gift of God to have a godly spouse. It's so good for us to have the accountability in our lives. And we have to have this desire, like the psalmist, that our ways will be directed according to God's word to keep his statutes. And statutes, again, as Matthew Henry uh, would, would state, they are fixed, they are determined, and they are of perpetual obligation. And then it should be our priority. Verse number six. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. How do we avoid the shame and the regret? By having respect unto his commandments. What does sin bring? Bring shame brings guilt, it brings regret. And I'm not saying, there, there, there is legitimate mental illness. There are true biological, physiological causes for mental illness. I'm not trying to be offensive or to be disrespectful to those who truly suffer from a biological mental illness, a brain injury, whatever it might be, a physiological uh, issue. But I will have to say, as I've said before, much of the mental illness 
in our culture today is directly related to sin. Sin brings shame and guilt and regret. And how is the shame and the guilt and regret removed? By the blood of Jesus Christ. And David talks about in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, the physiological issues that are caused by his sin and how it dried him up and his bones ached. There is a physical reaction to sin. And I'm not talking about just STDs and smoking and getting tar in our lungs and getting cancer and cirrhosis of the liver from alcohol. Yes, those are, okay, and a drunk driver wrapping their car around a tree. Yes, those are physiological, clear physical consequences. But there's also a mental, an emotional, a spiritual aspect to the guilt and the regret and the shame of sin. And much of that is avoided by keeping the law of God. I go and I give blood as often as I can. I mean, they're like vampires sometimes. I I get my eight weeks. After eight weeks, I get phone calls and text messages and emails. I want your blood, you know. (laughs) And uh, I, I get over there as often as I can. But I'm filling out the form. I'm clicking on all the buttons. And they're asking all kinds of lifestyle questions. I am so thankful that I have that I regularly say no. I'm so thankful that I can say no with a clean conscience to so many of those questions. You go to the doctor and you have to fill out a questionnaire. It's a hundred pages long. And then they give you, you do it electronically and you go into the doctor's office, they give you another one to fill out on paper. And how many of them are lifestyle questions? And then they go in, you go into the doctor's office and they ask you these questions. Do you drink? Do you smoke? They sometimes get into some of the moral aspects. And isn't it a wonderful thing to be able to say with a clean conscience, look someone in the eye like a doctor who's unsaved, and say, I don't do this, I don't do this, and I don't do that. And they're checking the boxes, and they're like, probably, in some cases, they react, don't they? And they say, really? Wow, I haven't heard of anybody like that for a long time. There's a cleanliness to the life of one who orders their life by the principles of the word of God. And it should be our priority. Finally, our praise will be a response to the word of God. We see in verse 7, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. The scriptures inspire praise, thanksgiving, rejoicing, and singing. They do. And that's where our worship should come from, out of a heart of gratitude and praise we often think that worship has to come from the outside. We can just get, I heard, I was just listening to a, I was reading an article and this, this person got saved out of a really wicked lifestyle. And she went to a church, she said, and she, she thought that worship was all about the ambience. If you can just get the right atmosphere, you can just get the right ambience, you can just get the right atmosphere and get everybody feeling just the right way, then you can really worship God, then you can really feel the Spirit, if you can just get everything just right. And then she talked about how she grew in her faith, and she got out of that kind of a church and realized worship doesn't come from the outside in, it comes from the inside out. And we go deeper in the Word of God, and our understanding and our relationship with Jesus Christ, and the Word of God, our worship is greater, because it flows from a deeper well. 
And the scriptures inspire praise, thanksgiving, rejoicing, and singing. And then we see in verse number 8 that the word of God reflects and reveals the very righteous character of God. I will keep thy statutes, O forsake me not utterly. Again, verse 7, when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. We go to the word of God. Yes, we've talked about some things that help our lives, that are true self-help, because they're based on the truth of the word of God. But is the Bible just a self-help book? To make our lives healthier, wealthier, wiser? Is it just a lifestyle manual? What, what is the word of God really all about? It's about God. It's about his son, Jesus Christ. It's that relationship with Jesus Christ. The word of God reveals who God is. Reveals his greatness. Reveals who he is and his son, Jesus Christ. And Christ who came and died on the cross for our sins paid the penalty for our sins. The word of God reflects and reveals the righteous character of God. And that's ultimately what we, Lord willing, as we go through this series on the Bible, that we will see, that we will highlight who God is. And then that will drive us to our knees and build and grow our relationship with him that we might be more holy, that we might be more obedient, more faithful in fulfilling the will of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, it's such a rich passage. It's such a, a delight and a privilege, Lord, by your grace to, to go through this text. And I pray the Lord, you will finger your word into our hearts and our lives, into our minds, even this week as we go about our daily lives. Lord, things get to be sometimes so drudgery and so methodical and we get so many things going on. And Lord, what a respite it is to come and to worship together and to be in the Word of God together. And Lord, I pray that we will just order our lives by the Word of God, that we'll find that blessedness, that true satisfaction, that joy in a relationship with you, found in the Word of God and obedience to your precepts, your statutes. Lord, may we see you and glorify you with our lives and all that we say and do, even this week. In Jesus' name we pray.